from WBEZ Chicago, the bottom of the glass. This is Pleasure Town. Around the turn of the last century, a group of folk built their dream, a town where happiness was the main objective. But as history has shown, even the sweetest of fruit spoils. So pack your bags, join us as we escape to Pleasure Town. Cyrus? Cyrus? Stop your interminable yelling. Cy, I... I thought you were, uh... Dead? Got some bad news for you there. You don't? I know that. I mean, I thought you were gone. For good. You're not that lucky. I went back. Needed to see something firsthand. Fresh perspective, if you will. Now, why would you go and do a thing like that? Past is the past, ain't it? Well, in order to truly understand something, you have to see it from every possible angle. I swore I wouldn't let my life get to this. Everything has a limit, an end. You have to wrap up your set before the curtain closes. No matter how funny or beautiful or muscled up you are, the audience will grow tired. If you don't walk off stage, they'll stand up and walk out. Those are the only options. Either you got ended. Or someone else will end it for you. You want another? Nah. You sure? I mean, what else are we gonna do? <laughs> All right, fine. And I knew, I knew no matter how good I got, the day was coming where I'd have to hang it up. And I promised myself I'd walk away when the walk-in was good. And then I did what I do best. Well, second best. First and foremost, I am a performer. But at a close second, is how damn good I am at breaking promises. And this show, my part in Goldie's crew, I felt it coming to a close. I knew the fates were licking their chops, hands clenched around the rope ready to pull the curtain. But I ignored those feelings. Convinced myself I was just nervous, seeing things, hearing things. It was just in my mind. Tastes just like piss. Why do you always have to buy the cheap stuff? Unless you got a gold coin stashed between your cheeks, you can shut up and drink what I bought you. But then Mud died, and Goldie died, and a dozen other of our known associates either showed up dead or didn't show up at all. And all of a sudden, the curtain was closed, and I was stuck on stage, in the dark, with no idea what the hell to do next. Speaking of piss... I gotta take one. Don't miss the hole. I never miss. You always miss. I knew I should have run, but I, something wouldn't let me. After the moment passed, for whatever reason, I felt myself stuck right where I was. I guess I still had to see this play out. Didn't know how my end, my death would come, but I knew it was coming. Had to be coming. 
never understood how people could get so torn up at funerals. Weeping and moaning and singing their damn songs. It's as if they didn't know about death. As if they always expected the cold stiff in the pine box to keep on walking and talking and carrying on. Death is a fact. Comes to us all. If we weren't supposed to die, then we wouldn't be so soft. Nor would our blood come rushing out if given the slightest chance. Men, women, children, they all are meant to die. Knowing this truth is why I've never cried at a funeral, or given anyone my condolences, or lost a wink of sleep even after taking a life that very day. You want another? Nah. You sure? I mean, what else are we going to do? All right, fine. And then there's this jackass. Pretty boy in his pretty shirt. Thinks he's funny, but the only funny thing about him is how pitiful he is. His list of friends was my list of targets. One by one, they fell by my hand. Some at night, some outside of town, but always after bringing them to Warren. Adrienne told me her father was coming to town, and apparently she told him about me, because after he arrived, which was just after she vanished, he came straight for me, threatened me with a pepper box pistol. Didn't take me long to convince him I was worth more to him without lead in my gut. Whenever I'd drag off targets to Warren, he would ask them the same damn questions he asked me. Where's Adrienne? Where's the stone? And when they couldn't answer, he'd chant some words or sprinkle some liquid or draw some shapes in the dirt. And when none of that worked, he'd turn to me, always looking older than he did when he started, and giving me the nod. But no matter how many times I'd ask, he'd never send me after Rudd or Bulger didn't make a damn bit of sense but I was the hired gun and hired guns don't ask questions they just pull triggers tastes just like piss why do you always have to buy the cheap stuff unless you got a gold coin stashed between your cheeks you can shut up and drink what I bought you we had to be careful take our time weeks and months between each interrogation couldn't let anyone make a pattern out of our plan did our best to make it fit right in with the random deaths that come with a place like Pleasure Town. But it didn't seem like time was on Warren's side. After he did his little parlor tricks, the wrinkles seemed to sink deeper and deeper on his face. But no matter how old he looked, he never showed it. Creepy as hell. Like a ten-year-old in an old man's suit. And then we ran out of stooges. No one else left to question. Just Dandy Boy Rudd and Mr. Necessity himself, Bulger. Warren poured himself a bowl of water and stared at it longer than I would have thought possible. Then, finally, hot damn finally, he gave me the nod. Not for Bulger, for Rudd. I told him we'd be better off grabbing them both and being done with it, but he wouldn't hear it. So I walked straight to the bar, ordered a whiskey and waited for my moment. Speaking of piss, I gotta take one. Don't miss the hole. I never miss. You always miss. Rudd stumbled toward the back. I counted to ten, headed back, and pulled my sap from my pocket. The greatest advantage you can have in life is not being a fool. 
I hold no patience for fools. I award them no grace, nor do they receive my sympathies. Of the lives I have snuffed out, a mere six were fools. And though I regret my former occupation, I do not regret those six deaths. A fool is not ignorant. A fool is not dim-witted. No, a fool is well aware of all that needs knowing. They can and do grasp the details necessary for whatever life they find themselves in. What makes them a fool is their conscious choice to live contrary to the facts at hand. You want another? Nah. You sure? I mean, what else are we going to do? All right, fine. If you jump out a third-story window, you'll turn your legs to splinters. If you stand too long behind a horse, you'll get kicked in the face. And if you spend your life swindling every single idiot in a town that holds vengeance more dear than it does morality, then you'll be relieved of what remains of your dark and worthless soul. Tastes just like piss. Why do you always have to buy the cheap stuff? Unless you got a gold coin stashed between your cheeks, you can shut up and drink what I bought you. Rudd and Bulger were fools. In fact, they were the worst kind of fool. The prophet fool. The fool who had the good fortune to see the consequences of their foolish lives. To know full well the danger that lies ahead, but lack the wherewithal to tuck tail and run. Night after goddamn night, they poured themselves into my bar, seeking solace in the only joy left to them. And as I poured their drinks, I wished for them the release I myself was not given. May your deaths come soon, boys, for you've earned it many times over. Speaking of piss, I gotta take one. Don't miss the hole. I never miss. You always miss. And finally that wish was granted. I didn't know the man's name, but I was confident of his purpose. A life spent in death carves lessons that you cannot forget. He was good, this fellow death dealer. He stood and followed Rudd to the pisser. I'd seen him in the bar before, but had not seen him hunt. He was careful, cautious. No one else was wise to his purpose, but I could clearly see that he was a vulture and Rudd was his corpse. The hunter's left hand slid into his front pocket and emerged with a knot of black leather. I wiped down the bar and hoped one last hope for Rudd, a hope that his end would be easier than what his life had become. So it came as a complete surprise to find myself standing in the bathroom over a lifeless body, not the body of Rudd. No, he was unconscious, soaked in his own piss. The body at my feet was that of the hunter. Fool, I whispered to him, or to myself. I'm still not sure. My life had always been filled with death, and now I had taken yet another life to save a life that didn't deserve to live, just like I didn't deserve to live, and yet I kept on living. Perhaps I hoped this small mercy would 
hasten whatever pitiful scrap of compassion was set aside for me. Or perhaps this hunter was to me a mirror, a walking reflection of the pain I had inflicted. And when I grabbed his head and wrenched his neck in two, it was myself I was ending. Or perhaps I was simply a fool, ignoring the fact that death would always be my trade. I dragged the corpse into the storeroom. Gone were the days where I could leave a body behind, and though I was well-versed in taking a life, hiding the lifeless was beyond my expertise. No doubt the sheriff would know a thing or two, but I'd be far safer with Rabe. She owed me a favor, and either the fire of her kiln or the weight of her metal would serve me well. My hunt of the hunter passed with no interest. I walked back behind the bar, took the hunter's half, sipped a whiskey, and downed it in one gulp. Bulger. Yeah? Best check on your friend. Did he miss again? He stumbled back toward the pisser, toward his unconscious friend, when he should have been stumbling toward a corpse. But that day will come soon enough. I just hope that my death and the end of my suffering comes sooner. Pleasure Town will return in a moment. What strikes your curiosity? How far would you go to satisfy it? Robert Olmsted's curiosity brings him to a mysterious seaside town where strange locals tell dreadful tales of amphibious beasts and ancient cults. These tales only fuel his curiosity and lead him on an inevitable path to an awful fate. Hear his tale of horror and destiny in the H.P. Lovecraft's The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Get this or any other audiobook free and a 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audiblepodcast.com slash pleasuretown Rudd owes his life to the bartender just like you owe your life to Smith yeah I know the whole train thing we covered that yes and the waxman boys and the wolves And all those times he made sure you didn't drown in your own... Point taken. I've always had an ear. It helped me in those years I had to hunt for my supper, when I could sense the pad of a stray dog's paws just seconds before his snout picked up my scent. And even now, in this after-void of light and air... The acuity of my hearing persists. I swear I still hear them. Voices. The ones that drifted on the wind that evening we almost died, Claude and I. I refer not to that bygone time when I pulled my friend from the maw of an oncoming engine. Nor do I refer to the sickness Claude was able to pluck from my blood. This was years later, after Claude became mayor and after he appointed me county clerk and, well, 
after he surrendered to the demon in the bottle. But those voices, those voices take me back. Back to that evening when their murmurs tickled my ears like so much swirling ash. Eastward, ho! They flowed from that shantytown where the survivors of the schoolhouse fire gathered under the leadership of Eli, the barber. They floated up through the darkness and dust and across the threshold of the second-story window of Town Hall where I, now removed from time, can see myself looking out over the dim lanterns and shaky amble of 3 a.m. So quiet now, but it won't be soon. You awake, Claude? He's been in the tub nigh on four hours by this point. Refilled it with hot water for a while, but he likes the cold. Says it seeps the whiskey from his soul. But there's half a bottle in the hand draped over the tub's edge, and the cork's popped off. Typically, he'd be there a few more hours. He'd climb out and I'd leave him to bed so he could sleep till the sun won't let him no more. But tonight, there will be no sleep. I lay his clothes out on the sink, washed and folded. His shoes are freshly buffed. I prepare the lather for a shave. I sharpen the razor, just as I worry the encroaching horde is sharpening theirs. Pitchforks, maybe. Pickaxes. They'll coast through the door like a branding iron through butter. Cause our home here, though carpentered from once abundant ponderosa pine, is barely sturdier than their shanties. They don't know that, though. To them, this shack is a palace. They want homes, that's all. They want walls not made from canvas and burlap. They want mattresses unpuckered by pebbles. They want resources. But what they don't know is the resources we don't got. To the town center! Claudius! Despite the burst capillaries, Claude has always been handsome. He exudes charisma and authority. And so, should he depart this mortal coil tonight, I believe that's how he should ascend. Such is why I've laid out Claude's finest a three-piece that I hope will be admired by his mourners from outside the casket. And me, my double-breasted frock coat, my finest trousers, buffed loafers. And in my pocket, that dusty scrap of fabric Claude gifted me when we first met, which serves as a symbol of a family I never would have had if it were not for Pleasure Town. It's the reason why I have invested such faith in this wayward settlement. Everyone, quick! Could be the sunrise, that string of orange along the horizon. But the townspeople know better, and so do I. Torches, gleaming tines in the glow. These aren't just voices anymore. Smith! Let me help you. I can do it on my own. Fine. Goddamn king. We need to get you ready, sir. Enough, Claude. Reckon you could use a sip, Smith. Reckon that's true. Well, go on then. 
How's that? Very fine. That what I think it is? Yes. Guess old sad Cyrus was right after all, eh? It's time to get out of the tub. That man, that fool, through that debate, jabbering on about his daddy and his past when the idiot's entire argument hinged on the future. Come on. But you can't articulate the future. That's the problem with focusing on it. Cyrus piddled and prattled and made not a lick sense to anyone there. That right, Smith? That's right. Our lives exist independent of the past, the future. They are simply moments that exist on the edge of our eyeballs. Am I wrong, Smith? Yes, that's right. Do you still dream? Excuse me? Don't play deaf with me. Do you still dream? No, Claude, I don't. So what is it you see when you close your eyes? I see right through my eyelids. I see the world I've created for myself. I see you. I see Pleasure Town. I don't dream. Because my dreams have come true. Sound like me when I was your age. What do you see? I used to see the same things as you. Now though... I see... I see the torches, yes. The shanty people, I take it. Yes. And we must face them. We'll meet them at the door. Stop. What? Smith. I'm scared. Here. Let's get you shaved before we face them. I won't face them. Why not? We will kick the door down. Why not, Claude? Because while you might not dream, I do. Every day and every night, I dream. Of what? Of what's next. Stay here. But they could. They won't. to speak to the mayor. The mayor is indisposed at this moment. Any questions you have for him, you can ask me. And this is the issue itself. Why can't the mayor speak to his people, a people that's been driven from their homes and ignored time and again by the society that's supposed to offer support? What kind of community is this that favors its right arm as the left disintegrates? You seek resources. We've been seeking resources. Now we're taking them. Wood, steel, whatever we can tear from this home of yours. There's other options. What options? Assistance. You had your chance to offer assistance, to give us help, to give us hope, tangible hope, more than just the will we can summon from our hearts. I know you lost your brother, Eli. I know you all have lost family, friends. That's right. But you've banded together. There's hope in that, isn't there? And Eli, you care for them. And they care for you. That ain't the issue. It's time this town cared for us. We've neglected you. I understand that. 
It's in our instinct to avert our eyes from strife if the struggle does not involve us. Tonight, however, you have forced our gaze upon you. I promise, we're listening. We just, we just need to figure this out. We'll be back tomorrow. And our mayor will be there to meet you. He damn well better. Even rife with embers, the night air never tasted as good as it did in that moment. I dare say it was perhaps the most potent moment of pleasure I felt in my years. Life, and the realization that there will be more life. I entered Claude's room to see his freshly shaven face. Only licked myself a couple times. Not bad for a handshake as this. Tomorrow we help them. We give them what we can. Whatever we can. But we don't have anything to give. Then we give them everything we have. <sighs> Smith, I may have watched you grow in age, but sometimes, I swear, you still have the kind of blind optimism one only finds in a child. How do you mean? What I mean is today's dream is dying. What awaits tomorrow is a nightmare. Hey guys, this is Emily Modaff, associate producer of Pleasure Town. Thanks for coming back and tuning in to another episode. Four more left this season. Can you believe it? Please keep coming back. And if you like what you've heard, let us know on iTunes. It really helps us out. Leave us a rate and review. We'll love you forever. Also, you can find us on Facebook just by searching Pleasure Town. And you can also find us on Twitter. Our handle is at PleasureTownOK. Feel free to talk to us. We love communicating with our fans. We love haikus. We love puns. Bring it on. A special announcement. As you know, we had been asking you guys to submit historical figures that you might like to see in an upcoming episode of Pleasure Town. We have made our choice. Drum roll, please. It's going to be Teddy Roosevelt, and you'll be hearing him in the next episode. And now to thank the talented folks who made this episode possible. This episode of Pleasure Town was written by Aaron Cahoe and Randall Colburn and performed by Neil Fontano, Dan Kerr, Dave Frederking, Ian Belknap, Johnny Moran, Keith Ecker, and Julian Stroop. Editorial oversight by Joe Dassault with help from Robert Anderson and Justin Bull. Our executive producers are Keith Ecker and Aaron Cahoe. Our associate producer is me, Emily Moda, and our interns are Joe Courtney, Brady Guy, Lizzie Seidenstricker, and Colin Wright. A pretty boy in his pretty shirt, Thinks he's funny, but the only funny thing about him is how pitiful he is. Original music was composed and performed by River Rising's Megan Diger and Tim Hazen, and engineered by Colin Ashmead Bobbitt. Pleasure Town is a part of the WBEZ Podcast Network. Discover more excellent shows at wbez.org slash podcasts. Pleasure Town is an ever-growing interactive narrative, which relies on your creativity, your imagination, and especially your voice to expand the legend. Find out how you can join the story at PleasureTownShow.com.